The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook Podcast for the month of November is B&H Academic. B&H Academic is dedicated to providing trustworthy theological resources to serve you as you serve the church. Visit bnhacademic.com to find resources you need to help prepare sermons, tackle tough questions, and aid you in personal spiritual life. Also, starting November 20th through the month of December, you can get 40% off on all of their books. I'll provide the link in the show notes for that. And also, we're going to be providing the link for the giveaway that they're doing with us for the month of November. You can get five great books just by going to the link on Twitter or Facebook, signing up, and sharing. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Brian, for those who may not know who you are, would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what you do? So I'm married to Kara, uh, be 23 years uh, in a couple of months, and I have four children. My son Samuel is going to be 20 this month and uh, is in college. I have a da- three daughters. Abby is 18 and a freshman in college. Isabel is 15 and a sophomore in high school. And then Blair is 12 and is in seventh grade in middle school. Okay. And so that's my family. And I'm a, I'm Pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church. I wear three hats mainly. Um, I'm the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I've been there 16 years. And then I, I also started a ministry about a decade ago called Practical Shepherding. And it's a ministry to pastors and church leaders, mainly training them in the, the practicalities of pastoral ministry, the things that seminaries don't teach you but are essential for ministry. And that's been the core of the ministry, but what's ended up developing through the years is just, it's a ministry to try to care for pastors, many who are in crisis and struggling and need encouragement. Hmm. And then about five years ago, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary approached me about running their church revitalization center. And so five years ago, they asked me, they, they got an endowment to start the center. They asked me if I'd run it and, and build it and, and I agreed to do that. So those are the three hats that I wear and speak and write and, and a lot of the books and things that come out of the practical shepherding uh, material. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball before we get to question two and just ask you, why, why do you think that there is a disconnect in some of the tools and the, the things that you provide for young pastors who have been through seminary or in, currently in seminary? Why do you think there's this, these categories of, of gaps that you, you're filling right now why do you think there is that disconnect? And so many people have that same story of going through seminary, getting into the church office and saying, what in the world am I supposed to be doing right now? Why is that disconnect there? Great question. I, I would mainly say it's, there's a disconnect because seminaries don't ever, seminaries are, not, are typically not saying they're going to train you in these practical aspects of ministry. The problem is people go to seminary assuming seminary is all I need. Hmm. So they go to seminary and they study theology and languages and history and systematics and, and all of the things that you study at seminary. The problem is people come in thinking that seminary is kind of the one-stop shop for, for ministry training. Right. 
And what's missing is that there is an aspect of ministry training that has to come from the local church. Mm-hmm. It has to come from pastors shepherding you and mentoring you in the local church on how to do ministry. It's, that's where you learn ministry. And unfortunately, seminaries have become at least the, the cliche is that that's the people come to seminary and that's all they need. Mm-hmm. And so people don't get involved in the local church like they should, especially while they're at seminary. They don't see the need to get trained in the local church. They just need seminary. And it's a rude awakening when they graduate from seminary, they take their first church job and they realize they have not been adequately equipped for what they're going to face in the day-to-day life of, of ministry. I, right. I think seminaries are getting better at that, by the way. Of, of reminding students that, and, and Dr. Moeller at Southern would be the first one to say, you have to go get involved in the local church and be trained in the local church on how to do ministry. That's the good. problem is there's, there's something that gets lost in translation when it comes to that, or just seminary life is such that I'm consumed with my studies mm-hmm. and just don't see the emphasis on needing to go to local church, be pastored and be taught by a pastor how to do ministry. That's good. Helpful perspective. I appreciate that. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning here. Uh, when were you born again? When were you converted to Christ? So I grew up in a, a, a liberal Meth- United Methodist church that didn't preach the gospel. Hmm. And I was, I came, I came to hear the gospel um, when I was 13 years old in a youth lock-in that our church had that brought three college students from Asbury University up to do the lock-in. And I heard the gospel in my own church through them. Okay. And was and just came to Christ in the middle of the night, talk, hearing them talk, share their testimony and share about Christ when I was 13. Okay. Uh, the problem is we stayed in that church. My parents were converted around that time as well, but they stayed in that church to try to be change agents. But unfortunately, that that's really not a wise thing for young Christians to stay in. So I, I tried to grow as a Christian in my teen years, but was not discipled well. And so just kind of floundered in that, went to college and floundered in that. I mean, I, I knew I loved Jesus and I knew I loved people, but I didn't know the Bible. I was not discipled well. And so I, I floundered a lot in my faith and, and doubt. I didn't have theological categories at all for anything. And so I was converted at 13, but, but I didn't really start to spiritually grow until after college. And actually, even until I, I started pursuing ministry and got mentored by some pastors outside the churches I was serving in. That's, that's where I really started to grow. Okay, gotcha. Well, that that's, uh, leads right into the next question I have for you, because I ask everybody that comes on the show to just explain their internal and external call into ministry. And then I know you got some real big opportunities or a lot of opportunities pretty pretty early, but let's just go there. Tell us about your that internal desire for ministry, and then tell us about the process of, of other people fanning that that gift into flame that they saw in you. Yeah. So I would, I would acknowledge that, that I did not get an external call in the way that I think it's best and most healthy in a local church. Okay. Um, so, so my story is when I, I was, I was at college for two years at Belmont university in Nashville, Tennessee, pursuing music of some kind. And I felt a call in the ministry while I was there. I have no idea what that meant. I didn't have anybody guiding me through that. So I was just kind of lost in the dark trying to figure it out. But, but God in this kind of providence provided an opportunity to go on staff in, a, in the youth ministry of a big church back home. And so I did that. So at 20 years old, I went on staff at a church in the youth ministry, just from the ground, you know, very low on, on, on totem pole, just 
just serving. And, but that was my first ministry job at 20 years old mm-hmm. and I'm 45 years old now. And, and from that day on, I have served on staff at a church somewhere every day of my life since. Wow. And so, uh, but the problem is, is I had no business being on staff at a church yet. So, and I've been mentored. I was very spiritually immature and, and I spent, I did associate pastor work for, for eight and a half years at four different churches doing a variety of things with youth and music and, I approached every one of those pastors that I worked with asking them to mentor me. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them said, no, they said it was not their oh, responsibility. Wow. And I, I just it amazed me. I knew I didn't know what I, anything and I needed help. And so I learned some really hard ministry lessons through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my, my internal call was there of just a, I love Jesus and I love people and I wanted to serve him. And I kind of took this opportunity. So unfortunately, uh, I worked out my internal calling and external calling while serving on staff at large, unhealthy, pragmatic churches. Gotcha. So it was, it was a really unique journey for me to, to be on. By God's grace, what happened is I started devouring the, the word of God. Um, God just kind of did a work in my life and I started devouring it for years and then found pastoral mentoring outside the churches that I was serving in. And those two things became crucial for me to then just learn my Bible Mm-hmm. And then have categories of just learning ministry from from another pastor. And so learning ministry, but then serving in churches where it was not, where ministry was, was unhealthy, there was not good mentorship. It was a very unique place to learn about ministry. And I, I look back on that and see that, that God used that to really light a fire in me for what I'm doing now. And that's, mm-hmm. I was not mentored well. And I remember when I went to Auburndale at, at barely 29 years old as my first senior pastorate, um, which by the way, the, the external call to go there looked like a close group of friends who knew me well, who said, we see these pastoral giftings, we see these gifts to teach, and you need to go pastor your own flock. And that's how I transitioned to see that's what God was calling me to. But I, I say that's not ideal because what should happen is a healthy local church mentor you and teach you in that church and in that congregation yeah votes and affirms that you should go into ministry which consequently then is what we started doing at auburndale 16 years ago when i went there because i vowed to the lord if, if you see anybody here who feels a call to ministry i will do all i can to mentor them <laughs> yeah. to raise them up and to teach them and i've tried to be faithful to that call but our our church is 70 members 16 years later but we have 35 former members who are either on the mission field or in pastoral ministry that we raised up and affirmed and sent out. Praise God. It's amazing. So amazing. Well, I love that because so many of us have messy callings and we've had experiences where we've had to learn positively from negative experiences. And that's that's been the shaping force about how we've learned how to walk as shepherds and pastors is I'm I'm never going to repeat that, whatever that is. I'm just not going to do that again. I think there's some sociological dynamics too of Guys, you're a little bit older than me. Uh, you're the uh, you're the Pearl Jam generation uh, and and Nirvana generation. I'm kind of like the the Blink 182, uh, mm-hmm. late 90s, early oldest of the millennials. But yeah. what I've noticed is a lot of guys that are similar to our age who grew up in baby boomer churches. There's some you know pretty broad stroke things that oh, there's a lot of good healthy baby boomer pastors. There's a lot of baby boomer pastors who financially aren't ready to retire and have to have positions and see young guys as threats and really had never been mentored or coached before and don't have, no, have a clue how to mentor or coach 
younger guys. And so I think a lot of guys have experienced those messy callings, you know, where they just didn't have anybody to walk alongside of them. Yeah. And I find that a lot of older pastors just don't have a category to mentor guys. Mm -hmm. And so again, as, as I mentioned to you before, I, I did this for years. I just, just out of conviction and passion, this is what this is. I'm a pastor of a local church. So this is part of my role. Mm-hmm. And I found that a lot of pastors didn't think that way. Pastors don't see it as their responsibility to invest in the next generation and teach them and train them in the church and, and raise them up to be able to to do that. But, you know, this is that's something that through not having good mentors in the churches, but having them outside the church, just knowing how vital that is. Yeah, it's huge. All right. So pretty early on. I heard in a podcast or somewhere, maybe it was an article or a book that you'd written that you'd done maybe a couple hundred funerals by the time you were in your thirties, mid thirties or something like that. Uh, I've done probably 50 weddings and I've done two funerals. Oh, wow. And so the, the culture of the churches that I've been a part of, it just, you know, it's not a lot of older congregations. I did serve with a pastor who's done over a thousand funerals over the last 40 years. He is the go-to guy. And I got to walk with him into grieving rooms and be with him during funerals that he did and, and watched him somehow or another light up a room with people who were in tears. It was, it was pretty, pretty incredible. So I've been around a lot of grieving people, but not done a lot of funerals. How did so much time, how has so much time around grieving people and doing so many funerals shape you as a man and as a pastor? I, started doing funerals uh I, I took an elderly congregation and so what but what ended up happening is there was a man named Farrell Gardner who mentored me some and he's a longtime pastor in Southern Baptist life and he's with Jesus now but he he was the guy in his retirement who the funeral home called anytime a family needed a pastor and they didn't have one to do a mm-hmm. service and I met and I knew him and he had a part of me going to the church that I went to and the funeral home a block away, a block away from our church uh, used him in that way. And I did a few funerals with them and they liked what I did. And so when Farrell suddenly died of a, of a heart attack, they came to me, they knew I knew Farrell and they came to me and said, would you take his place? Would you allow us to call you when there's a family that comes in that doesn't have a, a pastor to be able to do service? And, I said yes. I certainly saw the opportunity to be able to preach the gospel to mm-hmm. in a in a key moment. Uh, I'm looking for an opportunity to to try to invest in the community in whatever way I can. So I said yes, and and so yeah. Within the first ten years, I mean, I probably did, I easily did a hundred funerals of people I'd never had met. Wow! And so that created a unique situation to try to figure out how to think through funerals first of all. Mm-hmm. But when you're being called in to to do this for families who are unbelievers. And don't, they're so far removed from church. They don't even have a distant cousin that knows a pastor and come do the service. Right. You get into some pretty crazy family situations. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I got some stories, right? I mean, it just, it was some crazy <laughs> stuff that I've dealt with. Sure and you do. and I, I learned a ton from, so it wasn't just doing funerals. It was, it was being put in so many odd situations and trying to think about how do you, how do you do a funeral in, in this, the midst of this? So, but I loved it. I would rather do 10 funerals to every one wedding Yeah. because the ministry wow. opportunity. So most people live their life trying to ignore the reality of death and our own just um, mortality mm-hmm. and funerals open up 
a unique situation where people no longer can run from the reality of death, mm-hmm. that is a key time to bring the hope of the gospel to people. And so I think the two most important places any pastor can do ministry is in the hospital room or in the funeral home. Yeah. I watch a lot of especially younger pastors running from those two places, but I'm advocating those are actually the places we should be running to because that's some of the most significant places to do. To do ministry. So funerals have, have been a key place for me to, to just see opportunities to have, have ministry and the reality of death before them. Yeah. Amen. Good stuff. That's really good stuff. That classic shepherding work that so much of the last 20 to 30 years in CEO kind of ministry has, has sought to get out of the hands of the shepherds and into the hands of small group leaders. And certainly we want to equip leaders for the work of ministry, uh, you know, wanting to remain and be fair to those who, who walk in a different kind of ministry model than I, than I do. But it's been, a, it's been a theme to get away from that for a couple decades. And I love that you're encouraging guys to run to those things, run to the hospitals, run to grieving people, run to the funeral home. That's, that's, that's great. Uh, okay. You wear, you said three different hats. You got, uh, your pastor, your pastor, ministry, hat, ministry, hats. ministry hats, you wear about 14 yeah. other hats, you know, dad, friend, all the different hats that you wear, but these that's three right. ministry hats and then the greater priorities that you have are, you know, your walk with the Lord, the, the time with your wife, you and your wife, your marriage, you, you as a dad. So how do you prioritize? Do you have a grid? Do you have, I know you, your ministry is really from, from what I can tell grown the last several years, but how do you prioritize who you're going to give your time to? I learned this the hard way. I, about seven or eight years ago, my soul just, my personal soul just kind of imploded. Hmm. And so I started walking through a really dark time it was in conjunction to my wife pretty much having a nervous breakdown and sinking into a deep, dark depression hmm. uh, can be summarized by uh, a, a very just busy ministry life, homeschooling poor kids that she really didn't want to do. And it just kind of slowly crushed her. And as the ministry grew, I, I did not know how to manage it well, didn't know how to say no well. And so I just kind of crushed her with our, my schedule eventually. Mm. All this kind of just imploded on me about eight years ago. And we kind of went through a, a, we went through a crisis that required years of counseling for both of us. And this is, of course, a, a summation of this, but right. counseling for years. And, and, and through that really painful time of going through counseling, trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces of ministry, what ministry looks like now, what is our, what's going on in our marriage, I learned some really key things. I had to work through some things that were driving me that were uh, pain and struggle in my own life and soul that I had not faced and dealt with. Okay. So that was, that was something that I had to face some of those things. It was really hard and difficult, but I learned through that some ways that, that my identity had gotten wrapped up in my ministry and not, not resting in my identity in Christ. And, Mm. There was just some just soul work that I had to do that I didn't realize I had to do. Okay. Out of that, I have learned a ton about how to take care of myself, how to set limits, uh, how to say no to people. Mm-hmm. As the ministry of practical shepherding's grown, and I wear these hats, it's that's been crucial. Otherwise, I'll just I'll just kill myself trying to please everybody or do everything that's asked of me. So right. So some really important things that had to happen. And, and a, a painful healing journey that my wife and I have been on for, for years. And it's bearing good fruit now. But 
it was really hard for uh, for several years, and and so that was a that was something the Lord used and put me in a really dark place to bring me to some maturing I I had to do. And it and by, and about as fundamental as anything I do now when working with pastors, it's it's not just about ministry situations. It's I spend a lot of time trying to help pastors realize you can't push like this and try yeah. to please everybody, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna crush yourself and. Being to help pastors walk through that has been one of the most significant, you know, fruits of the ministry I do not, and it came out of my own really hmm. darkness and kind of a nervous breakdown that I went through. Yeah, and I, I think it is possible to learn from other people's mistakes and sin and repentance in the sense that I've seen from one generation to another. Uh, a grand, my my lineage is pretty dark. The men in my family, and I saw a grandfather and a great grandfather that were terrible, terrible men. And were very, very abusive. And my father wasn't. There was a change. There was a generational change. And I think that sometimes pastors can get into this mode, especially getting uh, into a seat where we, you know, fail, pastor, moral failures are so visible and they're so big and we see them everywhere. And we see unhealthy pastors around us that almost you can get in this pessimistic mode of it's inevitable that I'm going to run hard. And at some point in the next decade or two, I'm going to crash, burn. I'm going to go through a period of restoration and repentance. And I think what you're, as I'm listening to you, I want, I want to learn from guys like you to set up priorities to say, okay, I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to run so hard that I end up, everybody around me is crashing and burning and on fire all the while I'm thriving in these other pockets of, of so-called ministry. And so, so it's, it's not inevitable that pastors have to burn out. Do, Do you agree with that? Oh, I, I totally agree with that. The problem is, and, that, and that's why this has become such a significant part of the ministry that I do, is that my goal is to try to get to pastors and help them learn how to process in a healthy way the balance of caring for yourself, caring for your family, caring for your for your flock, and learning how to balance those things. Because speaking of things that we're not taught uh, in, in, you know, in any kind of ministry training, usually is how to is how to take care of yourself how to set limits how to embrace your humanity and that you mm-hmm. only can do so much in your one person and, and this is not a sprint if you want to do 40 years of ministry you've got to pace yourself you got to yeah. know how to rest you got to know how to let go of the burdens when it's time to let go and all those are things we're not taught but i think are crucial if, if a pastor wants to last i mean the, the latest stats i've heard are staggering i mean they're in 50 percent of the pastors that are pastors now in five years will no longer be in the ministry. My and goodness. In 10 years, it moves to 80%. And how many years it moves to 80%? 10 years. 10 years, so 80%. In 10 years, 80, 80% of the pastors that are pastoring now will no longer be pastoring. And so it's an wow. epidemic of pastors who are, who are not able to last long in the ministry. And this is, this is the reason for, for a lot of it. And ministry is mm. hard. Ministry is challenging. It wears on you. And you've got to figure out how to pace yourself and how to balance these things. And, and it's, it's, I mean, the, the kindness of God is that some of the, some of the darkest things I've walked through is exactly what God is giving me to try to help others not do, not have to face the same thing. Amen. I've, and I don't know if this is true for you, but anecdotally, my listeners have heard me say this several times, but I know one pastor, um, I've got my eye on another who meets just some basic criteria of finishing well. Number one, they love Jesus and they know they're still loved by Jesus. Number two, their wife still likes them and they have a robust relationship. Number three, uh, they their kids respect them 
and we can't, you know, clearly we can't determine the faith of our children, but the, the children still respect him. Number four, he's still making disciples, still pouring into younger men. And number five, there's, but it was no hidden moral failure. And by that basic criteria, I know one pastor locally that has made it. Do you know many who have started, finished? That means that not that we've been able to observe those 40 years, but there are not many. And what I love about what you're doing, Brian, is that you're wanting to see more guys that just finish well. They start and finish well, and they're healthy over the long haul, and their wives and their children are thriving. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm sure, I mean, just by what you're saying, that's what you want to see as well. Yeah, absolutely. They, the problem is, is that we, we've gotten so enamored with the celebrity pastor culture that uh, we're, we're no longer aspiring to the right things. Hmm. And what you just talked, I mean, that's what we should be aspiring to. Is it flashy? No, but it's not supposed to be. Right. And so what I have, what I experienced, and again, I'm, I, I can see, I'm at this point now where I'm continually trying to just figure out how does God want me to steward whatever he's given me? Hmm. And one of the things I'm continually trying to do. So if you, if anybody follows me on social media, there's, there's an obnoxious amount of two things. Uh, me celebrating older, regular pastors who pastor in obscurity for 40 years hmm. and celebrating them. The second thing is I, I put um, all the, I put widows, elderly widows who I love and care for up on, uh, on social media and expose people to them. Because mm-hmm. I think widows are some of the most forgotten people in local churches. Hmm. And there's a specific admonition in the new Testament that we're supposed to care for widows and to care for them in a certain way. And it's, it's almost like a lost art with pastors. So yeah. I find that older pastors who, who remain faithful to the end like that and serve a long time. I'm trying to, and by the way, by a lot of the younger generation of pastors uh, see them, don't want to celebrate them. It's the opposite. They want mm-hmm. to kind of, kind of not point to them or they get them out of the way. And I'm like, no, no, this, we need older pastors who, who, and sit at their feet. And so I think one of the stewardships I have at this point, now that I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the essence of middle age. I'm in the middle of my forties mm-hmm. for me. To, so I'm not old, but I'm also not young. So for me to be able to be in this position, I'm old enough to be able to look at younger pastors and go, and you need to listen to this. Right. And, and yet I'm young I'm, I'm young enough still to be able to, to be able to point to older pastors and say, I'm not there. Like you need to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the stewardship I'm trying to, to continue to foster. Good deal. Good deal. Well, I'm going to set up, set you up to praise the grace of Jesus here. Why, Brian, Brian Croft, why do you love Jesus so much? <laughs> oh man, because um, I have, I have been forgiven of so much and I would be completely hopeless living in destruction and is enslaved to sin and an object of God's wrath apart from uh, the person and work of, of Jesus and what he has done. So he's, hmm. he saved my soul, but he has, uh, he has redeemed me and redeemed my life. And even in the midst of, of, of not just salvation, that's first and foremost, but just um, bringing peace to my soul in the turmoil of this world mm-hmm. uh, is something only he can do. And uh, I, I am, uh, so indebted to the love I feel that Jesus has for me and that he is for me 
in a way that nobody else is for me. And uh, there is a peace and joy that comes from knowing him and being able to walk with him. And to know that if ministry imploded today and I lost everything, if I had him, he would be enough. Amen. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. This has been a lot of fun. I, I want to give you a chance to tell about practical shepherding. Where can people go if they like this conversation, want to know about visiting the sick, want to know about some of the stuff you're talking about? Where can they go to find out more about you and your ministry? practicalshepherding.com is just the best place to go and start. We have a ton of content on there, articles and things. We have a whole book page. We, I think we have about 25 resources now that have been written as part of the ministry, and it's all into that category of, of practical ministry and how to do the regular grind of ministry. And, of course, I, I went in and, revived, went and revitalized the dying Southern Baptist Church, so some of our resources center around church revitalization. And so that's that's in there. Uh, there's resources that we have a podcast on there now. So a lot of the same kind of resources. That's the best place to go and, and find a lot of those things. Anything from books to podcasts. The other thing I would say is that we do a video cohort in partnership with the North American Mission Board. If you go to the website and go to the resource page, there's a video cohort page. And we, are, we do a 40-week video cohort, an hour a week. It's free to pastors. So if you're a pastor listening to this, and you would like to be a part of that. We take, we actually have a 40 week course and walking them through the practical shepherding resources. I lead that. And it's been a really sweet time and we're starting a new one in January. So we're taking, you have to apply and be accepted, but if you're accepted into it, it's free. And we are going to be accepting applications for another few weeks. So if you want to get involved with that, you can go there and sign up. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good to talk to you, Jared. Thanks. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.